0: Welcome to the connectfulness practice podcast. Here we settle into the murky, tangled and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do and the world around us. We can't fix what's wrong. If we can't talk about it, we can't move the conversation forward. If we're not willing to be real about where we are now. And unless we push the edges of what it means to connect. Nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong. Every month, I invite a fabulous big thinking guest to join me to talk about what it means to be human together. We'll have deep conversations about the big stuff, life, love, and legacy, and how you can foster connection for yourself. Let's start to reconnect the world, one conversation at a time. The information on this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. If you want to integrate all the stuff that you have to do in your business so that you can focus on what you do best, Therapy Notes can help. Over 60,000 mental health professionals use Therapy Notes. Get two months free by visiting therapynotes.com, then enter the promo code Connectfulness. Today, I'm joined by Ellie Taylor, a perinatal relationship expert, author and founder of Becoming Us, and Barb Buckner Suarez, health educator, writer, presenter, couples coach, and Becoming Us facilitator and mentor. Ellie is based in Australia, Barb is based in Portland, Oregon, and I'm in New York. We're literally holding a round-the-world roundtable discussion. I'd like to share a quote with you now that is the framework for today's roundtable discussion. I'll read this again during the conversation. But I wanted you to hear this quote so that going into this conversation, you're sharing this framework with us. Ellie writes in Becoming Us, I discovered this. Becoming a family pulls apart the structure of a couple's partnership. The transition tips them into a new life stage as individuals and a new relationship stage at the same time. Parenthood affects both mother and father's sense of identity and self-esteem. It can change the balance of power between them, and it can also disrupt their sense of connection. And this, this is exactly what we're here to talk about today. This is what we need to discuss in reframing how we prepare parents for parenthood. You know, our last few episodes have been about why relationships are difficult and inherited family trauma. And as we keep diving into this content, we keep coming back to how significant the first few years of a child's life are. If we're not preparing parents, it's rippling out. And so, today, we're talking about creating a movement. Let's dive in. Hello, Ellie
2: and Barb. Welcome and thanks for joining me today. (laughs) Hi, Rebecca. (laughs) Hi, Hi Rebecca, I have to thank you both for making time in your evenings so that I'm not talking at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we are literally all around the world right now. Yeah, we are. Yep. We are. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's, I'm in the future. <laughs> it's your tomorrow morning.
0: <laughs> so crazy how we can time travel like this. Great. I know, I love it. Yeah. So I want to start us out today by reading um, a quote from Ellie's Becoming Us book. And then I think this quote is gonna really be a container for everything that we're gonna talk about today. Sounds great. And I also just wanna let my, my listeners know that we're really looking at today's conversation kind of as a round table discussion. So rather than it being an interview, just kind of pull up a chair, get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and hop on in with us. Great. Really looking forward to this. Me too. So, Ellie, you wrote, I discovered this. Becoming a family pulls apart the structure of a couple's partnership. The transition tips them into a new life stage as individuals and a new relationship stage at the same time. Parenthood affects both mother and father's sense of identity and self-esteem. It can change the balance of power in between them and also disrupt their sense of connection. All
1: true, but isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And there's just it's that, you know, I was reading this book a few times. I've read it many times before, but as I came back to prepare for today's conversation and I was looking back to it on my Kindle, by the way, Kindle tells you what other people have highlighted, and that was like a very highlighted passage. Oh, I didn't <laughs> yes. know that. I didn't
2: know that either. Yeah. It's cool. Good to
1: know. Yeah. It was cool to know.
0: Yeah. So so that passage was getting highlighted by a lot of people and it popped out to me, and I was like, This is like everything that we are here to talk about today.
2: Absolutely. It's everything that we need to talk about, everything that we need to start preparing parents for, because uh, it's just so crazy that we send them into this great unknown, you know, without any preparation. And people say you can't prepare parents for parenthood. And that's so untrue. And we really need to stop saying it and start doing it because it's tough. It's really tough.
0: It is. And you know, it's something that's, that's kind of on the tip of my head right now is my last few episodes have been about how difficult relationships are and about inherited family trauma. And as I'm, you know, diving into this content on this podcast, we keep coming back to the early relationships. We keep coming back to how significant those first three to five years of a child's life are. And if we're not preparing parents, then it's rippling. It's, it's rippling. You know, it's, it's an interesting
1: piece because um, I'm in the midst of doing these classes with couples and for sure, what, what, one of the things that I kind of keep bringing it back to, I mean, I talk with them about what was conflict like in your family? What did your parents do? What do you remember as a child? Um, And then we have a little bit of conversation about that. And I always remind them you're in this place right now where you can do it differently. Like you started here, you started here, you guys are in this cycle because of what you know and what you were modeled and what you saw. But now is a perfect opportunity for you actually to do something different in terms of how you actually uh, work together as a couple for your child. And you find that they're very much motivated, right? I mean, expectant parents, new parents really want to do right by their kids. And so it's an ideal time to actually introduce them into doing things differently than how they actually grew up themselves. It's a, it's like a, a do over, or a reset button that they're able to kind of push. And so the next generation doesn't have to be doing what they're doing right now at 30 years old. They get it as kids and they move through. And hopefully if we get enough becoming us facilitators out there and this message gets out there, they'll find another person that's gone through the program. And then they'll be like, oh my gosh, we are good for parenthood. You know, I mean, I, of course I'm leaking far, far out into the future,
0: but I love that idea. I the, love the vision. Yeah. I love I, the vision. <laughs> I got a lot of
2: questions for it. Let,
0: let's talk a little bit about this vision, right? Because I think it's going to ground us a little bit in in what this is that you're creating. I think you're creating a movement.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to create a movement. And parents need somebody to create a p- movement. They need a lot of people to create a movement because they need to know this stuff. And there are so many barriers to them getting this preparation and getting this support. You know, we we, we all know that our systems are broken, you know, in Australia, in the US and in the UK. Although I have to say there are some really promising things happening in, in, in our different countries, which is exciting to watch. Um, You know, it's just culturally, you know, I'm just going to be blunt here. I think really culturally we are setting parents up for failure. We are sending them into the most challenging transitions. There's multiple transitions. It's not just one transition. We are sending them into these transitions of parenthood, unprepared, unsupported, and expecting them not just to cope but to be good parents and, and to be happy families. And we're not equipping them with the awareness and the skills and the resources to actually support them to do that. And, you know, like I think about it, you know, in any other sphere of life, you know, if, if you were going into a new job or, you know, learning to drive a car or, or, or learning some sort of a trade, you would go through some sort of supported educational process process you know and and you know if you think about it in terms of corporate you know when you become a parent you're going through both a merger and a takeover you know I
0: love it. <laughs> a awful. merger
2: and a takeover and if you were in any sort of organization there would be some sort of change management process that would be supporting you know employees through this well we need something like that for parents um, and you know, it's beautiful to see the work that Barb's doing out in the world with the classes. It's beautiful to hear the feedback that she's getting from from the parents. So we know, we know that this works. It's a matter of getting it out there. You know, that's our greatest challenge um, is, is is getting it out there and getting the support and the preparation to the parents that we know are going to need it. I and think, so,
1: yeah, go ahead, Barb. I was just going to say, I think the reason why it's challenging, and we've talked about this from a from a, you know, getting the program to the people who need it, It's, it's hard when you go into this thinking, oh, having a baby is going to be like our ultimate expression of our love for each other. It's going to make us so much closer together. It's going to, you know, be all of these wonderful things and it is, and it can be, but the reality of all the shifts and changes and the multiple transitions that Ellie talks about, um, really can't be understated and i think especially in the age now of what i call pinterest parenting right where i mean the only thing that you're seeing on social media is all the good stuff you know the picture of us at the pumpkin patch with our newborn i'd like to see the picture before that one and the picture after that one that gets posted because <laughs> i'm sure it was not all you know rainbows and unicorns the entire time you're out there but that's not what we share and so what ends up happening is even though we know the statistic is 92% of couples report increased conflict and differences on the other side of having a baby, nobody's saying it and um, nobody's sharing that. And so what happens is, oh, we're going to have this baby. It's going to make our relationship stronger. The baby comes and it's like a bomb that's gone off, right? Yes. Um, for this couple relationship. And they think, what's wrong with us? As opposed to understanding this is kind of normal. And if you happen to be one of the 8% that just skate through this without any issue, lucky you, but really the almost everyone is struggling at this time. How can we actually better prepare people for the normal challenges and changes of becoming a family as opposed to um, uh, like throwing them out to the wolves? I mean, I kind of feel like what Ellie is saying, you know, we, we talked about, well, nothing can prepare you. Yes, we can. This does, it does, it prepares people. Uh, realistic expectations can go a very, very long way.
0: So let's let's dive right in there. Let's talk about how Becoming Us prepares people for becoming a family. Let's review the main tenets of Becoming Us.
2: Sure. And even, even let's go back a little bit because what I want the providers to know is that we have some fantastic research into the neuroplasticity of the brain, which is I'm a total research geek. So are all of my listeners. So go Mm -hmm. for it. Awesome, (laughs) my people. Okay, so we know that the time of parenthood—you know—the the 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 time that we want to support parents is also the prime time for them to learn how to support each other. So what's happening is that they've got this—you know—this biological priming that's happening through pregnancy to be sensitive to their baby when their baby comes along. What this means is that they're also biologically primed to be more securely bonded as a couple. So like Barb said, they're coming in here, they're motivated, but they also have got the biological underpinning to actually create a more secure attachment bond between them at the same time that they're transitioning into parenthood. So what the classes do, what the book does, is harness this and put them on a path to becoming closer. So it's not just preparing and supporting them for the changes and challenges of parenthood, it's also using parenthood as one of only two windows of opportunity in an adult's lifetime. The first is when they fall in love one of two windows of opportunity to actually create a more secure attachment bond between couples, which supports them in so many ways as they're going into this great unknown.
0: Ellie, can I ask you for a little clarification?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Is this opportunity present for couples at the stage where they're bringing in each child or is it the first child? And it's it's each each, child. It's each child. And so it doesn't matter if it's a couple who's a mixed family, who's kind of coming back together and like it's, it's for the birth of every child. It's that prime opportunity.
2: It's for the birth of every child. So they're going through neurological changes that primes them for bonding with the baby, which means that they're also ripe for bonding more deeply with each other.
1: Ideally, we would get them while they were pregnant, right? To prepare them before the birth of their first child or during pregnancy, because that's an ideal time. Just as what uh, Ellie is talking about, that window of opportunity is right there. I'm finding in the after baby classes that we're still, it's still okay. If there's still that the motivation is still there. There are folks that are coming back with who have three year olds and are saying, "Tell me how we can fix this." Um, it's it's. And I'll just throw it out there, three years after a baby is born, 67% of folks are still reporting relationship dissatisfaction. So that's also not um, abnormal. But there's a way that you can actually, again, I keep calling it the reset button, but there's a way in which folks who are in this cycle or who have kind of gotten off the rails, um, when and if they're given the proper tools, can get back into a place of, no, we're stronger now. We're better than we were before. We've pushed the reset button, and now look at us. It, it, it's, And I'm going to say straight up, this work is actually very, very helpful for the entire parenting journey. Uh, Ellie knows this because the two of us have had great conversation about this. Uh, I, my oldest um, is just returned as a freshman in college. And a year ago, around this time, my husband and I were in the hardest part of our couple relationship that we've experienced in probably the last decade. And it was, I want to say, because we were going through a brand new fourth trimester. And that was our baby was moving out of the house. Like, what happens there? What does that mean for the remainder of us at home? What does it mean to launch her into the world? Um, A lot of stuff came up for my husband in particular. Um, I was really like, go, go, go. And he was like, stay, stay, stay. It was a real challenge for us. We literally... We worked through the steps of becoming us to get to the other side of that. Um, So I kind of want to just make sure that folks understand it's not like a let's prep you for the newborn, but let's prep you for the toddler. Let's prep you for when they go off to kindergarten. Let's prep you for middle school for crying out loud because that's seventh grade. So if we can
0: catch you before you have your child when you're pregnant we're setting you up to be able to catch you in all of these other moments. Absolutely. Because they all follow and you have the skills. Yes. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about learning skills. Yes. That for each transitional stage are going to help exactly. pull you together more. Exactly. But that it's lifelong. That's what I would tell you.
2: And that it's cyclical. I mean, that's what Bob and I have found that. And in fact, that was the feedback. That was a surprise to me. I didn't expect that. I thought I was creating you know, like a, a, a transition into parenthood model. I thought that that's what Becoming Us was going to be. But then I started hearing from therapists who were using the model with parents of teenagers. And and I realised in my own life, because I have, you know, three kid now as well, that my I husband. I love that word. <laughs>
1: yeah. I do too. I love it.
2: <laughs> that my husband and I were basically cycling through the stages again and again and again. So I think it doesn't matter where you are in your you know your parenthood journey. It's it's the the stages are applicable. Um, as Barb was talking, I actually started to to um, tear up a little bit because um, similar to Barb, my husband and I have just been through an incredibly challenging time ourselves. And honestly, if if it wasn't for my knowledge of the stages and how they play out between a couple, I don't like to think about, you know, where we we would we would be now. It's um, you know, when you go back to how you opened the show about how um, becoming us impacts every aspect of a person in their relationship, sense of identity, self-esteem, you know, relationship dynamics, those sorts of things. I went through a difficult period um, a couple of years ago when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the only thing that I can equate that to in my experience is having suffered a perinatal mental health issue after having a baby. It was so similar in so many ways. It impacted every aspect of me and of us. Mm-hmm. Like the bomb that Barb described, the baby to be, that was another bomb for us to have to deal with. And I really, and I think it was knowing the stages and the journey and being familiar with that journey that that's that's that got us through. Mm-hmm. So there yes. you go.
0: So I mean, I'm so like, you know, like everything I have chills going all over my body right now as we're talking about this, I would love for us to dive in to orient our listeners to the steps and then come back into conversation around all of the stuff that you're finding the stuff that you're discovering in the classes that you're teaching the research that's being done around your model. I mean, there's research now, right? So I want to come back to all of this, right, and and talk about kind of the what this is beco- what becoming us is becoming. <laughs> and, Love it, right? But in order to help our listeners who may not have much familiarity with um, with this model, let's just kind of dive in a little bit there and give a, a brief overview of what the stages are
2: sure okay so there's eight stages in the model and the first stage is to basically prepare for parenthood you know people say nothing can prepare parents for parenthood and that is you know I call bull crap on that basically it's so not true and we need to start preparing parents for parenthood there's so much that they can do so things like organizing finances and work leave ahead of time not making any big life decisions that are going to just put extra st- stress on the family, you know. Um, researching as much as they can, talking to friends who've got babies, and encouraging friends to be, you know, honest and open. Gathering together a support system, that sort of thing. Um, I'm happy for Barb to jump in and, and at any point and say what she's doing in the classes, because I know that you know things are evolving from the classes um, as well. Um, then the second stage is to build a nest. Um, so bring the baby home, protect that space, you know, create a buffer to the outside world, turn the television off. It's super depressing and anxiety provoking. don't need to know what's happening in the outside world for the next month. Just tune in to what's happening, you know, in the home. Um, know the difference between visitors and helpers because there's a big difference. Um, so I say that visitors come in, they stay too long, they eat all your food and they leave a mess. Whereas helpers come in, bring food, don't stay past their welcome and, you know, tidy up while they're there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then stage three, so that's just before the baby's born, after the baby's born. Stage three is the first couple of months and it's basically about managing your expectations. It's when life becomes real and that can be a real downer for some people. And, in fact, we had um, research in Australia that said that 30% of women directly attributed postnatal or postpartum depression to having unrealistic expectations of motherhood. Mm -hmm. So this is about really working with those expectations and where they came from, you know, how supportive those expectations were and bringing them in line with reality and and creating a bit of a gentler landing, you know, like a softer place for them to start to find their feet, I suppose.
0: I'm I'm gathering that a lot of the expectations that Parents are coming into parenthood with have to do with things that they maybe have seen on the media, on TV, and
1: yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah, Uh absolutely, right. So, so this is really a reality test. That's what this particular stage is really about.
2: It is a reality test and I find that, you know, most people will share the good stuff and then I found that there was a bit of a backlash to that and people so then would start to share the horror stories but then you've got people recoiling from the horror stories and so we've still got this, the reality is that it's everything, you know, it's blissful and it's stressful, it's awesome and it's awful, it's it's fantastic and it's fun and it's also freaking hard. And it's everything in between. And it's this stretch between the highs and the lows that is exhausting for parents. You know, you go round and around and again and, and back again in, in a day.
1: And I think that that part is really important to highlight right now because we've kind of gone from, um, you know, having a new baby is going to be the greatest thing that you've ever done before. And it's going to be, you know, nothing but wonderful to really like, uh, having a new baby sucks. And I think that that part is really hard because there has to be something in between. And, and that's when we talk about expectations, we're talking about realistic expectations. So it's like, yes, we're going to talk about sleep deprivation in class and how hard that is and how it's your number one thing that you really have to be focused on. How are you going to get more sleep? But we're, we're going to give solutions to that, not, oh yeah, it's going to suck too bad for you. You're not going to sleep for the first eight weeks too bad, right? That that's not going to work. Um, there has to be something in there where it's like, this is your reality and it is your reality and here's how we can actually work together uh, and figure some stuff out. And the cool thing about the classes is that you have couples in there together. And so they're recognizing that it's not just them, which is kind of so important. And the peer to peer learning is huge. What if they heard, what do they know? Um, They walk out of there feeling a little less clueless is what I'd like to say, right? They're like, okay, we've got some ideas about what we're going to do. And they make plans for how they're going to do it as an individual couple, which is a big deal because it's very individualized.
2: We actually, um, we call Becoming Us a whole person, whole family, whole community approach to parenthood. And a big part of the classes is networking with other professionals that provide services that can help the couples. So what we want is, you know, I, I guess my vision is to pull different professionals from a community together and get them to see where everybody has a place, you know, everybody has a responsibility, everybody has the potential to support a couple in all different ways so that a couple feels supported by their community because they are not getting supported by the system. Right. Yeah. And they need support. So it's, it's, you know, bringing, we actually give them a nest building plan and the last page of the nest building plan is basically a page of this is who you go to see if you need help with this, 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 this or this because it's, it's, getting the information to the parents is it takes a community like it takes a village we, we all know that it takes a village and and that's what that's what we want to see want
0: and that's so that's literally what you're doing is you're bringing that village back we're trying yeah we hoping <laughs> <laughs> we are hoping to bring that village back
1: here
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah step number four i
2: think that's where we were that is stage,
1: stage number four, I should say.
2: The stage four. So stage four is um, we 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 frame parenthood up as like a journey. You know, it's like a hero's journey. It really is. Mm-hmm. The odds are against couples making it through intact. So stage four is set up base camp. You know, stage four is about four to six months when the baby's in a routine you know the baby's needs have been met you've kept the baby alive for four months yay you know like high five Um, so this is time for couples to turn their attention to themselves and to each other you know like the baby's in a routine but let's take a look at your routine what are you doing for self-care what are you doing for couple care what are you doing regularly for stress relief and really kind of bedding down some really solid foundations for them to keep going basically to keep to keep doing this um, and just grounding them, grounding them in all those really good habits, so that they can maximize their energy and their focus. And you know, we say where attention goes, energy flows. You, you give it all to the baby; the baby's going to thrive, but you guys are going to burn out. Yep. You know, so yep. so let's look at that. So those first four months are very much about
0: managing expectations and focusing the attention on the baby and getting to know that baby. I think
1: that it's also really almost like all hands on deck. Yeah, I kind of feel like that. I mean, the reality, especially if you're first-time parents, it's like, how do we do this? They're supposed to be learning like about 300 new parenting skills, and they are hired on the same day. They're sleep deprived. They don't have a supervisor. There's no manual. There's no sick pay. There's no right. I mean, all of that stuff. I I mean, I remember
0: when my first child was born that I got a text from my husband one day of his shoes. It was a picture of his shoes because he was wearing two different shoes to work. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I love only that. only new parents, right? Like, oh, I love that. It, yeah. it's, the, yeah. it's
1: the best, but yeah. that piece that Ellie's talking about is that, you know, it's, it's fully transactional, that relationship, honestly, in those first um, four stages, honestly, yes. we're just, like at, at that point when that baby is here, we are just trying to get through the day and make sure that the baby's still alive. And so your conversation even as a couple becomes like, well, how many poops did they have? Or, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it's back and forth and it's really, it's baby business, which is fine because that's what needs to happen. But there has to be a point where you look at each other and say, okay, okay, now what about us? What about me? And that piece has to come back in. And that's, I think, right after setting up base camp, we're starting Absolutely. to figure that
2: out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that's what setting up base camp is all about. What does everybody need? What mm-hmm. do we all need? How much help do we need? Who can we call in to make this sustainable, so that we can not just cope, but be okay and be happy? Yeah.
0: But I think one of the important things to identify in there is that it's okay to go through that setting up base camp phase. That it's it's really like it's so. Mm-hmm. It's so much a part of the way that it goes that we're not gonna get through this by keeping our own needs in check the entire way. We're gonna lose sight of ourselves. Like That's a part of this phase.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that that's kind of reality. But if, if there isn't a pause, if folks are not given the permission, honestly, new parents given the permission to stop and look at each other anew and say, wait a second, I don't want to be completely lost. Like I realized why it had to happen, but now I'd like to find some of myself and bring it back into this relationship. If you don't do that, that's when you get people that are three years in and they're, they're still not happy. And it has a lot to do with the fact that, especially in, in our current Western culture and for women in particular, it's really, really hard to say that um, self-care doesn't come along with guilt or a price tag on that. And it doesn't need to be. I mean, okay. self-care can be, Are you getting a shower every single day? Really, are you getting a shower, a proper shower? Not a three minute shower with kids banging on the door, but an actual proper shower. What does that do for yourself? And what does that do for your parenting? And what does that do for your couple relationship when you feel like even that, even that is being met, right? But unless folks are hearing, it's okay to say, we've done this transactional piece, we've really worked hard to get this baby and keep this baby alive. And now how are we going to put our couple relationship first again? Because that is a gift to those babies, that you're happily together three, five, 10, 15 years down the road.
0: You know, I want to come back to the quote that I read in in the very beginning, Um, specifically the part that says that parenthood affects both mothers and fathers' sense of identity and self-esteem, and it can change the balance of power between them and disrupt their sense of connection. Cause I think we, we need to kind of maybe give some focus to this balance
2: of power. This is something that I see a lot of couples coming into my office about. Yeah, absolutely. And we're actually <coughs> right at that stage in the model where that starts to become introduced. So, I mean, the model works best as a prevention that each stage in the model prevents the next stage from just, you know, blowing out completely. So the next stage after building base camp and, you know, building the stress care stress relief couple care self-care in is managing emotions or embracing emotions um you know with this biological priming to be more sensitive parents are more sensitive they're more vulnerable they're more emotionally sensitive they're more sensitive to their partner's praise or criticism and when they're sleep deprived and when they're blindsided by all these new changes and steep learning curves and that sort of thing and the new conflict that normally comes with parenthood, what they say to each other matters. It's either going to build up their sense of self-esteem or it's going to bring it down. And especially when you've got a mum who is at home, she doesn't have her boss telling her or her co-workers telling her or her friends telling her how great she's doing. She's going to look to her partner. I know I did, I know a lot of the mothers that I've worked with over the years, they look to their partner for how they're doing. And if a a partner doesn't recognise the importance of supporting her and and, and building her up, they can really easily make a negative comment that's going to really hurt 10 times more than it would have before because she's so sensitive and vulnerable.
1: I also want to address, that is 100% true, but I also just have found in classes that it's an interesting piece to kind of address for the partner who goes back to work. Um, that they are actually, they're expected to just act as though their life has not completely changed as well. And that's really, really hard. Um, they get a lot of, a, a lot of um, like, just get back to your desk and start doing your thing. Like, be productive again. And, you know, there are many, many partners that are going through significant changes. And they're not getting the same level of um, support
2: at work. Yeah, You
1: know, they're, they're doing something different. So I think that that's, it's it's across the board. It's for absolutely. both, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's much. absolutely for both. Yeah, it's absolutely for both. How it often plays out in terms of power struggle and the, the, the dynamic changing is that, you know, often before baby, couples are both, you know, in full-time employment, they've purchased a home maybe, they've made big life decisions together, they're both earning a financial income, you know, they've got currency power in the world. But if mum doesn't go back to work full-time, if she goes back to work part-time, if she's not working for a period of time. Or well, if she goes back them. to work and dad doesn't go back to work. Or if she goes back to work and dad doesn't go back to work. Absolutely. So or it's if spiritual. there's two mums or whatever the Or two mums or two dads. However, it, it, they organize it for their family. The stay-at-home parent tends to lose power in the world. Mm-hmm. they tend to lose power in the world and how i've seen this play out in you know worst case scenarios with couples is that because they've lost power in the world they'll start to try and gain it over the baby in the home mm-hmm. and sometimes inadvertently exclude the other partner who can then over time try and make up for that by working harder mm-hmm. and longer and gaining self esteem in the paid world in the employer in the employment world. And I've seen this dynamic creep in time and time again and sometimes be the end of a family.
0: Yeah, because this this now becomes the wedge between them. Mm -hmm. Right? The stay-at-home parent is now wielding this power in their relationship, that they have this connection to the baby, that you know they know things about how to be a caregiver and how to tend to this baby in a certain way. And the other partner doesn't. And then the other partner is Avoiding that mm-hmm. dynamic by spending more time at work, where they feel it's that exactly they can be productive and their needs can be. Where they're
2: also, and where they are also contributing to their family, you know, yeah, financial yeah. Fin- in a, in a financial finances, way, yeah. in yeah. a way that they can. Yeah. So it's 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 you know this, this impossible situation that parents have to navigate with, with, ideally with some preparation, but most often not. And going back to what Bob said earlier. They can feel like there's something wrong with them or something wrong with their family or their partner, or they can start blaming each other. And this is what we see is that, you know, in conflict, they will start to blame each other. And then that starts to erode the foundations of the family, which is what we, exactly what we don't want. We want to be building the foundations, not eroding them. Yeah. And this is why the languaging is so
0: important, why the emotional intelligence is so key here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that takes us through step
2: five. Step six is? So step six is identity and self-esteem. You know, it's it's working with this new vulnerability and using it, harnessing this new vulnerability to build up their sense of identity and their self-esteem. You know, we've got research that um, tells us that when a parent, the research is with mothers, that when mothers feel that they are supported by their partner, they get a feel a sense of purpose and meaning in their role as a mother. And we've got research to show that when dads are criticised by mothers when their infant is six months old, that they feel that 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 reduces their bonding, feelings of bonding with the baby. So it goes both ways. You know, when, when parents feel supported, when they feel proud of themselves as parents it impacts their parenting, and it impacts their satisfaction with their relationship. We, we have all of that research, so we know how important it is.
1: And it's a positive feedback loop. It's one of those things when, uh, and you know, it, just recently on the heels of Mother's Day, okay, so when I'm teaching the classes, I'll say it to the folks in class, you all might think that Mother's Day and Father's Day, uh, or Parents' Day, right, depending on how you celebrate, is just a hallmark holiday. And I'm going to tell you that that is absolutely a million times not true. It's the one time of the year that the other person who knows how hard you work and what you're actually putting into this, um, they're the only person in the world that sees it, knows it, and can appreciate it. And something should be given some level of respect and attention to that. It doesn't have to be roses. It doesn't have to be dinner. It doesn't have to be anything big. But a from the heart letter of appreciation about how you are caring for our baby can last an entire year. It really truly can, but that needs to happen. That piece of stepping into this new identity as a parent is such a big, huge shift. um, And that if we don't get that recognition and that sense of self-esteem, it can either become a very negative feedback loop, or it can become this really beautiful, positive feedback loop. Um, Sometimes I think back to I, again, I already shared that my, my family of origin, I love them. My parents have been married happily so for 60 years at this point. Um, and I can remember my mom was uh, the stay-at-home parent at a time that makes a lot of sense because that was many, many years ago, right? But multiple times I remember my father stopping the dinner table conversation to say, I want you to look at that woman over there. And I want you to understand that without her efforts, this family would fall apart. That kind of public recognition in front of us as kids, we got that what she was doing as a stay-at-home parent mattered so much. And he made it, he elevated it to, yeah, I'm out in the the world doing this paid work, but let me tell you, if she wasn't in the home doing this work, we would fall apart. That Uh level of recognition on both sides, right? I mean, we also need to really recognize, yeah, the person who's working outside the home is allowing us to potentially be in the home and doing this parenting, right? So it's it's perspective sharing. I think is more important than almost anything else. Having folks actually understand this is incredibly valid and valuable, and this is incredibly valid and valuable, even though it looks really different.
2: I, I couldn't agree with you more, Bob. And as far as the um, classes are concerned, I think the skills are valuable, but what I think is even more valuable is the perspective, and the awareness raising, and uh, you know, I think. Coming back to this identity, self-esteem is our culture doesn't do mothers and fathers any favors. It doesn't do same-sex couples' parents any favors. It doesn't do transgender parents any favors. You know, like we we the messages that we are getting from our culture basically is that parents you're not really enough. that's not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough.
1: No matter so, how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no matter, matter how you're doing, you're doing, you're not doing it. Enough.
2: Yeah. 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 You're not doing enough. Maybe you're not doing it right. Absolutely. And so it's so important for partners to know this and to be aware that that's what they're up against and that that's what they need to to give to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if they manage that stage well, then the next stage, which is stage seven, managing differences, is going to go a whole lot easier because with all this awareness and knowing the importance of supporting each other, raising each other up, that's going they're going to come from a very different place when they're navigating their differences. And there's going to be differences. You know, we know from, Barb mentioned the research, 92% of couples have increased differences in the first year after baby. So there's going to be all this stuff and some incredibly challenging things that they need to come to agreement on. You cannot agree to disagree about circumcision Mm -hmm. or a child's name or whether you're going to vaccinate a child or whether you're going to co-sleep. These are joint decisions that need to be made. Otherwise there is potential for there to be an awful lot of resentment going forward. You know, I know parents that named a child and we're resentful that they named the child that name. Mm
1: -hmm. How does that
2: play out for the child going forward? Yeah. You know, these are the things that we need to be able to bring couples together on. And so that stage is all about navigating differences in a way that does that, discussing fears and concerns and hopes before you even get to any sort of negotiation or problem solving.
0: I'm I'm struck that in this managing differences, this is something that as cultures we have such trouble with, right? We watch this play out in our politics, we watch it play out in our families, we watch it play out everywhere, and in the media. In, in mm. the media, and we are such people of people pleasing kind of varieties. Like we we want to. Okay, you have a problem with that. i'll I'll do this, right? like i'll I'll go along with it, even though it's not really what I want to do. I'll kind of martyr myself. and then we we end up in these situations where no one's really spoken their truth. I have to say that that this stage is my
1: favorite. I love this stage. Um, and the reason I love this stage is because I believe so, so much in how people can get closer together on the other side of this. It's like the idea of, walking through fire together and then being on the other side. Mm. But what it, of course, what it involves is being vulnerable. Yes. And, and that piece, you know, just from a cultural standpoint, uh, we're told vulnerability is a horrible, horrible thing. And that, you know, we need to put on our armor and get ready to do battle day in and day out. Uh, but not with your partner, for crying out loud. If there is one person that you can remove the armor and actually be present in front of them and share from your heart, um, trying not to be, as Ellie says, it's more important to be real than it is to be right. That is such a key piece of information for people to get. when you're Because conflict is going to happen. But is there a way that you can actually share your truth, like you were saying, Rebecca, um, from a standpoint of being assertive in your communication, not aggressive, but assertive in your communication. And can your partner actually hear what you're trying to say? There's this whole section, and I'm I'm kind of fresh on it because I just did a private session with um, a couple today and we'll follow up next week. But we do this session where we actually talk about primary versus secondary emotions. And when you're feeling triggered, can you identify that you're first of all feeling triggered? Can you sit with that for a little bit and figure out what the heck is the emotion that's actually underneath? Because that top emotion, that's anger. But what is it really? And so that idea of like figuring out what that true emotion is, and then um, being willing to actually sit down and share what is happening with your partner, having your partner actually be really prepared and ready to hear what you have to say, and then watching what happens. I have to say in class, I, I keep it really, really light, right? Because because one, I'm not a therapist. (laughs) Two, I'm not ready to deep dive when I've got four or five couples in that space. That's a little bit too much. So we keep it kind of nice and light and they're off by themselves kind of having these conversations. But it's amazing to me when they come back after they've learned some of these skills, um, more often than not, I'll have people say, I don't think we're gonna argue about that anymore because we got to what was actually really going on in that argument. we've been circling and circling the drain and we keep talking about it and arguing about the same damn thing. But tonight we actually got to what it is that we were really arguing about. And then what I find is to, to move people from that cycle of conflict, you can move them through this cycle of connection. And that is such a beautiful thing to see. It is not an easy thing. It's not, it takes time. And I have to tell you that that's probably the biggest issue in our culture that we have is that really truly communicating really getting to the heart of what uh, matters in terms of connection it takes time and that is our most precious commodity but if people are willing to put in the work it's always better on the other side i i live for this stuff i am like the world's greatest advocate for conflict resolution because when you can get two people from here to here um and they're in a different better place oh
0: my god i i could do that for days and days i love it and i love watching it happen I want, I would love for the two of you to talk a little bit more about the cycle from conflict to connection and this journey, which, which is really a journey into vulnerability. It's a journey into understanding one's own emotions, one's own reactions, where one is kind of um, what one of my mentors, Terry Real calls, it's that moosh response, that first consciousness and being able to move into a place of like a second consciousness where we can really stay tuned, stay, stay attuned to each other, stay attuned to ourselves how do you teach that i mean i know how i do it in therapy but how do you teach it
2: we actually give them a handout we give them handouts the cycle of conflict and the cycle of connection and it's basically taking them from being reactive and just you know reacting to each other out of their um, secondary emotions getting in touch with the primary emotion and communicating that instead and you know all the trust building that goes with it you know so it goes from not just avoiding fighting to actually building the foundations of the relationship
1: when we're in cycle of conflict uh, differences come up, right? Um, one or both, uh, folks is triggered. The fuse gets lit. There's some kind of an explosion, verbal, potentially physical throwing stuff, slamming doors, that kind of stuff, emotional, right? Um, typically if the couple is, is somewhat connected with each other, there's usually a period of remorse and regret after that. They feel bad about the state of who they are at this point and they want to try and fix it. Um, there might be a honeymoon stage, Nothing really gets resolved because they have not actually gotten down to what is really causing the issue in the the first place, but they want to trust, but they don't really feel like they can. And then there's buildup again, because the focus then becomes all about the partner. Oh, I can't believe that they did this. You stay in that um, area of only secondary emotions, not the primary stuff underneath. And then the tension rises again. And when we're in that state, we move through it and we keep moving through it. And it's the same thing over and over again. When we're talking about the cycle of connection, differences still arise because they're going to, but then we get them discussed. The focus turns away from your partner and it's more focused on yourself. It's that idea of figuring out, oh, I'm being triggered right now. Why am I being triggered? Um, what is that emotion, the primary emotion that's underneath? Can I discover that and actually share that? Um, it's, owning It's refocusing that- on yourself. Totally, and then owning that, right? And then sharing what your concerns, your hopes, your needs are. I think this next piece in the cycle of connection is probably my most favorite. Um, It's the repair part of the cycle Mm -hmm. of connection. And the idea behind it is to apologize or make amends if needed. And there's been a couple of folks in my classes that have gotten really kind of stuck here. And oftentimes I'll tell them, um, you may not need to apologize for the actual thing that triggered. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you said something and it triggered your partner. Your intention might not have ever been to trigger, but when your partner actually shares, this is what actually happened to me and I'm triggered in this way. If you can actually, I'm so sorry that what I said made you feel stupid. You got me? It's that idea of like, it's not, um, I'm so sorry I said this thing necessarily because I didn't know it was going to trigger you, but oh, I'm so sorry that you felt stupid when I said this thing. That piece goes so far in terms of everybody getting on the same page again. And when you're able to do that part, when the person is shared and is really real with you, then that, as Ellie was just saying, that trust increases and you can't help but feel so much better about yourself and about your relationship. And then you have this like much greater, deeper connection with uh, who you are and with your partner. I I live, I mean, I don't enjoy conflict. I am not somebody that um, goes out seeking it. But I love the resolution of it because I'm always, I'm, I'm better and deeper connected with myself and I'm better and deeper connected with my partner on the other side. It's really trying to encourage people to get to that place.
0: I think the repair is truly where intimacy lies. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's It's like if we can't navigate and manage the difficult moments together and then find our way back to each other, then then what do we have? That's Mm -hmm. that's intimacy. Mm -hmm. We'll get in the mud, we'll we'll get dirty, and we we come out of it still loving each other Mm -hmm. or kind of liking each other today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Potentially moving towards loving
0: in another 24 to 48 hours. I need some time. (laughs) Or willing to stay in it for another, Mm -hmm. you know, for another rumble. Because, you know, this is something that I'm just remembering. Stan Tatkin talked to me about on a previous episode. He said, you know, we are more as a species. We're way more wired for war than we are for love. Mm -hmm. Right? And so if we're thinking about that and we're thinking about how we were wired to be with our partners, right? We're always looking over our shoulders for the threat.
2: I love Stank (laughs) Tatkin.
0: That
2: was a a great
1: episode, Rebecca.
2: Oh, thank
0: you. He was not yeah. yeah, I love him as a oh, well. Yeah, I
1: think that that's true. Like we we are not we're not encouraged to take off our armor. But I really feel like that is kind of there has to be this opportunity where we are willing to let somebody see us in all of our good, bad and ugly and understand that they're still going to be there on the other side. And are we willing to do that for our partner?
2: And for our children? Yeah, mm, that's I the bravery, that's, you know, that's, that's where the courage come from, is that we're going to build something that's different from what we had. We're going to build something that's different from where we came from. We're going to build something that's safe and human and real and together. And, you know, that's what we want for our family. Mm -hmm. you know and that's absolutely possible and this is what we're starting to see through the classes it is such beautiful work to do challenging but beautiful work to do but the feedback that Barb is getting from her classes uh, and uh, from a lot of dads that weren't even engaged at the beginning it's actually quite miraculous like I can't tell you how excited I am to see this work out there in the world. And what you were talking about, intimacy, that's the final stage and that's where we've been heading to all this time is to grow through the intimacy, to bond more strongly through the intimacy, you know, to be real, to be vulnerable, to really open ourselves up. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like you two against the world, you know. There's so many factors that go into you guys not making it. There really is. There's so many factors into you guys not thriving, not having what you dreamt of in the first place. You can't tell parents that but we know as providers and we know as parents exactly what they're up against. And, you know, it's about them supporting each other to go out there into the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm
0: curious what you're noticing. I mean, there's so many different um, statistics that that just kind of show how, how hard parents have it. You know, you mentioned the 92% of couples that, um, have disagreements increased during the first year. We know Gottman's research says that 67% of couples have a decrease in relational satisfaction. And um, I think I remember recall reading in in your book, Ellie, um, I can't remember whose research it was, but that 30% of fathers in the US leave their families in the first three years.
2: That's from uh, Maren Callender's book Why Dads Leave um, and uh, Dr Jack Travis was the contributor to that book and his estimate is that 30%, uh, r- roughly 30% of fathers in the US leave um, but, but that many more leave emotionally and yeah. he has actually identified a syndrome called male postpartum abandonment syndrome um, which is that... Being unprepared for the disconnections that happen through the transitions into parenthood is a trigger for them, related to childhood trauma, related to um, their experiences of the world as a as a you know a, a, as a male, causing them to feel abandoned by their partner who's bonding with the baby, and then in many cases leading to them abandoning the family. Um, I would imagine that below this or contributing to this there is undiagnosed um, paternal postpartum depression or anxiety and we have figures around that you know we know that it was one in seven women with postpartum depression it's now one in six women it's also one in ten dads with postpartum depression we have research from Monash University in Australia that um, postpartum anxiety is a much bigger more common issue with 33 percent of mothers and 17% of dads suffering from postpartum anxiety.
0: And those odds for the father's or the other partner suffering as well go up exponentially when the mom is yes. suffering. Yeah,
2: yep. so 50%. So if mom's diagnosed well, if mum's suffering from postnatal depression or postpartum depression, dad is 50% at risk. And we also know that dads with mental health issues, particularly mixed episodes, are 46% more at risk for suicide. So... It's dire. This is really dire. It's yes, yes. really, really dire. It's it's, it's, it's really dire. Yeah. So this
0: is just talking about everything that's stacked up against the family.
2: That's stacked up against the family. All the factors that fit. I mean, we know that, you know, depression and anxiety are biopsychosocial conditions. And we're talking about all the things that contribute mm-hmm. to the relationship, the mental and the emotional aspects of the transitions into parenthood that they are not, that they're being blindsided by, basically.
1: Uh, can I share just a, just an observation, just because I think it would speak to this right now. I had a, a, a class, it was three couples, um, and they happened to be um, heterosexual couples. A year out, they invited me to come and hang out with them, uh, Sunday brunch, um, which was lovely. And it was I'd stayed in touch with them, but it was lovely to come back and see them. And at one point, I was in the kitchen with the mamas, and we were all enjoying a glass of wine. And the fathers were in the living room with their babies and we could hear them laughing and you know, um, potentially throwing the babies up in the air, I mean, from what we could hear, right? And I stopped and said to the three women in the room, I said, you all do understand how unusual this is, that we're in here in the kitchen, enjoying a glass of wine and the dads are all in the living room doing the childcare. And all three of them said, Absolutely, this is different because we go out all the time with other friends, and the reverse is exactly true. So, the moms are doing all the childcare stuff, the guys are in the backyard drinking a beer. Um, and I'm not saying that this is always the situation, but I will tell you that I think that part of what can make this so lovely for the partner is that it is absolutely not singly pregnant person or mom focused. When Ellie's talking about how it is whole family, it is whole family. And that idea of being able to, um, again, perspective share. So when we're talking about the normal challenges and changes of parenthood, that's one thing that we can all get into the group conversation. But then there's a, a time or an opportunity to talk about, well, what is it, what's different about being a mother? And if I have to, if I have a fully heterosexual group, what's different about being a father? What are the things or the individual pressures that each of you will be going through? Just being able to see that, um, allowing or telling or encouraging the primary at-home parent to take a step back and to not direct how this whole parenting thing is supposed to go, to allow their partner to step forward and actually do it. Even the idea, um, Ellie, when we were talking earlier about the difference between helpers and visitors, having a conversation about, do you really want to have your mom come in the first couple of weeks after the baby is born? Because inadvertently, that very wonderful kind mother or mother-in-law may actually step in and take over and not allow the partner to really jump in right from the very beginning. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that is built into this curriculum so that partners are actually given encouragement to kind of like really start right from the very beginning and assume uh, that level of parenting as well. And maybe, maybe, which I would like, take some of that crap off of the primary caregiver Because, you know, what's going around in the media right now, just tons and tons and tons of that mental load is so real and it's crushing uh, primarily mothers, right? If we can do something to alleviate that, I mean, I sometimes, I don't know if I've even shared this with you, Ellie, but I kind of look at some of the work that I'm doing with Becoming Us and with some of the uh, the stuff that I'm doing on my own uh, about trying to create connection between couples as actually my effort to really look at masculine toxicity and to really kind of like encourage those men who've been told you're not as good because of your gender, you're not going to measure up. I think that that's crap, yeah. but we need to actually really elevate that role and really encourage them and welcome them into that space. And, um, and I think that this, I think that that piece can really be addressed by these classes. I'm super, super excited, Ellie, about what kind of uh, research we're going to, we're going to get that's gonna kind of address a lot of this stuff. That's
2: my hope anyway.
0: Mine too. What's the research looking at right now? Cause you, you have, let's talk a little bit about the research that's being done.
2: Well, we're very excited. So initially, uh, the Family Institute at Northwestern University are doing a feasibility study on uh, one of our classes. We're just talking at the moment, whether it's the before baby class or the after baby class. We want to make sure that we're getting the outcomes that we're hoping um, in terms of um, what parents need to be prepared and supported. But they're actually looking at doing a full IRB approved study um, later in the year or even through to next year with multiple classes looking at outcomes for perinatal mental health issues Uh, Relationship satisfaction, domestic violence, and infant mental health outcomes. So that's very, very exciting. Maybe a little bit too soon to start talking about it, but there you go. It's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly know that they're keen to do that, and that they've had quite a bit of interest in in, and participation. So that's very, very exciting for us. That's wonderful.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so excited to see how just knowing these stages, how disseminating and teaching these stages and planting these seeds may. potentially have an impact on legacy of future generations. Like that's the part that really excites me.
2: I have heard, I think it's Dan Siegel say, that rates of secure attachment are going down. My hope, my hope is that through this and through other people that are doing this important work in their own way, that we can turn that around. That through really good connection, through supporting bonding we can turn that around I have some ideas about how to do that I don't know if we have the space to talk about it on this podcast but are you willing to go there a little sure okay so I for the new book which is coming out soon I wanted to make attachment styles easier for people to talk about. I wanted to make attachment styles easier for, you know, practitioners, providers to talk about with clients because I think we really seriously need to address this. And at the moment the clinical terms that we've got aren't that user-friendly. So what I've done is I have created some um, descriptions of the different attachment styles. Um, So if we are talking about parenthood as being a journey into the unknown... Somebody that has an avoidant attachment style might prefer to take most of it on the back of a, you know, on on a motorcycle, you know, stick your leathers on, put your helmet on, hop on a motorcycle and off you go, you know, on your own. Somebody with an anxious preoccupied attachment style might prefer to be on the back of a tandem bike. So they've got their partner close at hand all the time. They've got their partner there to blame if something's not going right for them. They've got the reassurance of, you know, being in close proximity to a partner and not being on their own. Somebody who is disorganised is maybe on an exercise bike. So they're pedalling really hard. They're putting in a lot of effort, but they're not going very far at all. And they're confused, frozen, you know, um, stuck in one spot and not sure why that's happening. But somebody with a secure attachment style is likely to say no to the vehicles altogether, I'll just go on foot <laughs> That means I can have the flexibility to be hand-in-hand with you for lots of it, go off on our own when we want to explore our own sort of identity staff, come back to you, hop on a plane maybe, climb a mountain maybe, stop for a while and not have to worry about storing the bikes anywhere. You know, it gives them the the flexibility that we know secure attachment style has got. So in the new edition of the book there's this information that Um, professionals can use with parents and hopefully that parents can identify with and then at every stage of the journey I've given them steps actual steps that they can take to take the journey together and to and to walk hand in hand um, that we'll see but hopefully it will help to support secure attachment
0: and so so this is really the the crux here right is that secure attachment is the goal Whether we're talking about a secure attachment between partners, secure attachment between caregivers and children, however we're talking about it, that's the goal here. And that's the thing that we're trying to build a foundation for.
2: Absolutely. So yeah. we call it whole family bonding. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 we know, we have the research that secure attachment reduces risk for perinatal health, health issues. It reduces risk for violence. It reduces risk for, you know, a whole bunch of stuff going forward. We also know that it supports attachment with infant too. So when, when, when the adults, when the parents, when the partners are securely bonded, it supports them both to securely bond with the baby. And that's absolutely what we want for a family. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They have to have those building blocks so that they can actually continue on, not just to survive parenthood, but to actually thrive in the parenthood journey together. I mean, that's kind of the goal, right?
0: <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's not only the goal, it's, it's incredibly necessary yeah. because, you know, as, as my listeners will recall from past episodes, we're not just talking simply about the parents here. We're talking about the product, the the children, the people that these parents are raising. And the fact that these first three, maybe three to five, but definitely the first three years Mm -hmm. of a child's life are foundational for developing how they see the world, Mm -hmm. how they understand the world, how they develop a sense of trust and safety in the world, how they form their attachment styles Mm -hmm. that they will later carry into their adult lives and their adult love relationships and their worldview this is, this
2: is how we raise humans. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the parents. I mean, some of the feedback that I've been getting from the people that are doing the work is that it's also healed parents' relationships with their own parents and with their siblings, because they've now got this new information that puts everything into such a different perspective and reduces, you know, judgmentalism and resentment and those sorts of things. So it goes both ways. It's, 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 it's helping parents to bond with the baby, but it's also a it's also healing the bond that they have with their own wider family. And this is where the community, whole whole person, whole family, whole community thing really comes into play, that when you've got the ripple effect out to the extended family, that just creates so much more support and so much more opportunity for this new family to start thriving. It's amazing what we could do with support. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: And, you know, our culture... Uh, we, we kind of play a good game where we're like, oh, you know, family is the foundation and whatever else. And we should put our money where our mouths are and actually really fully support. And we don't. I mean, it's, that's, that's another message I think that's really important for folks to hear. When they are second guessing, is it us? Or um, what's wrong with our couple relationship that we can't seem to kind of, it, it is not them. It actually isn't them. If it's the all proper, Oh my gosh, if the supports were put into place, it would be a completely different story. Uh, and I would add to that, I mean, in, in addition to our Western culture of, we should be able to do this by ourselves. That is kind of, I mean, I'll just claim it for America. Okay. But that's kind of like an American motto. Like uh, independence is, uh, you know, important above everything. And then if you can't do it yourself as uh, a woman, then maybe with your partner, you guys can do this together. That's, that is not enough. It takes, when we go back to it, it, takes a village. It really does take a village. I said to my daughter, who's 19 today, we were talking about this, and I said to her, um, hey, I uh, I wanted to just point out to you that one of the reasons why you've turned out so, so nicely, because she's a really great kid, is because we've parented with three other families in town since before they were born. And I have two other co-parents that I rely on in addition to my husband. I say that jokingly, but the three of us meet monthly to discuss what it is that we're now doing as parents of middle schoolers and older that it is not and and never could be achieved in a vacuum. I have to have those people around me to support me in addition to my wonderful partner and my husband, who's a great dad to help this um, to
0: make it work, to make it work. So I'm going to, take a leap here and a guess but i'm guessing that one of the byproducts of these classes that you're teaching are that you're creating these little nests these little nuclear or, or these little family systems right these little community families yes. that are potentially going to grow together that, Absolutely. that, that group yeah. that
1: i was talking about when i went over to their house they meet on a regular basis i mean they're every maybe once a month mm-hmm. they all get together and any, any time I can actually encourage them to continue to hang out with one another, I do. And they, they want to, because the classes are, you know, it only takes the first night for one, and I'm going to put it on the dads, because I think that this is kind of a big deal. But when I have a dad that is willing to be open and vulnerable night one, that's it. it. The floodgates open, these dads are able to actually be like, oh my gosh, I can actually be real in this space. I don't have to be I don't have to do what I'm told to do.
0: Men are, are the craving spaces where they can. Be. Oh yes, you have no, no idea. It's absolutely credible. Yeah,
1: and I would tell you that yeah. that they sometimes they are come, creating
2: the space for them. They yeah. come
1: kicking, kicking, and screaming to these classes. I'm going to tell you straight up, they do many times when I go around the room. I'm like, and so what are you hoping to get out of the class? I'll get a dad that says, I had no idea that we were coming until an hour ago. Like they're like, oh my god, what are you? What have you take put me into? And then by the end of the evening. Uh, they are so happy that they were there because they're, they are craving that connection and they want, they want to be able to take the armor off and be real and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I love these classes.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you both so much for joining me this morning, tonight, whenever it is your time. <laughs> <laughs> this
2: thank you. <laughs> it was great to be here. can i just say rebecca i really want to um i know that there are professionals who are doing this work not not not, that are not associated to becoming us and i just really want to acknowledge how challenging this work is when you've got parents that are in denial that don't want to hear that it's going to be challenging that don't want to know really and I, i know how hard it can be to reach these parents um but But what we've worked out is that the classes are are one way and the best way because they're community building and because they've actually put in contact with the supports that they're likely to need going, going forward and each other. But that it can be as easy as just planting the right seed. It can be as easy as anybody just planting the right seed. In fact, you know, I had feedback from somebody in Australia that did a normal hospital um, birth preparation class, not not a becoming us class. And she said that the best thing that she heard was actually from a physiotherapist who just came in to talk about perineal exercises or something like that. But she just dropped a seed as well saying to, you know, don't, I hope your partner doesn't expect that he's going to get dinner on the table every night because that's just going to be too hard to do. And it was just that seed that, that the parents appreciated so much because it really, the expectations more in line with the reality and it was we know expectations are so important so it really is you know as simple and as easy as planting the right seed and i think my hope is that you know my vision i guess is that we get a community of professionals who know what seeds to plant who can plant the seeds with the mums with the dads with the partners with the grandparents with the aunties with the uncles so that parents are getting this information from multiple sources that they already know and trust and that that becomes their expectation of what the new normal is going to look like and that hopefully those people will then refer those couples to the classes mm-hmm. to actually do the class and to, do, to put in the hard yards to do the work that's really going to equip them for you know, what's to come.
0: Yeah. And so, so these classes that you're talking about, you're talking about training professionals to be able to offer classes within their communities and connect connect couples to the local resources within their communities to plant these seeds and all of that,
2: all of absolutely. That. We all we, we, we don't that. expect to train sure. Sure, well, we don't expect that everybody's going to want to or be able to run the classes. What, what What I would really like to see is that the professionals are doing the training to know how to plant the seeds and to know when to plant the seeds in the different stages of parenthood and that they know about the stages of parenthood and how preparing parents for the early stages can really make a difference in the later stages. you know i, I ideally, any professional, any professional that works with expecting on new, new parents. We've got a massage therapist that's mm-hmm. doing the training. She, you know, she does pre massage, but she's planting seeds while she's doing the massage. Mm-hmm. So it's getting in in a couple of different ways, you know. It's, yeah. So we, we're really hoping that any professional who works with expecting on new parents knows what seeds to plant, knows when to plant them, and then can refer to the people that are doing the classes in the, in the community um, so that we can get the parents in to do the classes and, and you know, learn more.
0: So yeah. I'm I'm guessing you're talking about mental health professionals you're talking about nurses you're talking about doctors you're talking about midwives you're talking about doulas, doulas you're talking about yeah. lactation consultants yep. you're talking yep. right like anyone any people, people who perhaps even just own boutiques that serve yep. mothers and babies yep. like yep. whatever the capacity is right? babysitters mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. it, yeah anyone
2: that's having conversations anyone that's having conversations with expecting or new parents is in a position to plant a seed and 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 just by planting the right seed we can reduce the risks for anxiety depression relationship stress you know it's it's we can make a huge difference with just a small amount of really simple work you know it's mind-blowing to me the big difference that we can make with just a small amount of simple work and it's nice work to do
1: well and and In addition, like that planting a seed, it's kind of that piece, Rebecca, of of, it's finding that spot in between life is going to be the greatest thing in the world after you have a baby and life is going to suck after you have a baby. The planting (laughs) a seed piece is like, here's the reality. That's where the
2: fertile grand (laughs) is.
1: So so it is that idea of like letting folks know there's a way in which you can actually, you won't be scaring parents if you're actually planting seeds. that's
0: that's kind of a big piece of it well it's 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 it almost feels like rooting in right it's it's like it's stay it's it's going back to it's that in between and that in between that murky Missy messy middle is often the place where once we actually can like taste it and put our Feet into it, it actually is so much less scary than the two polar, you know, opposite binaries that don't make any sense because neither one actually feels accurate.
1: Yeah. Well, neither one really is. (laughs) I mean, that's also the truth. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, we're finding that a lot of people that are, well, most of the people that are doing the training are parents themselves too. They know it. They get it. They've been through it. But it's challenging for them to convey what they know. To parents and so because we they don't have, have a language, language for it exactly they don't have a language for it so we're supporting them and preparing them to support and prepare the parents and the seed planting is actually based on neuroplasticity and you know all my research geeky background like there's a there's a structure to it so yeah, it's exciting stuff
0: <laughs> okay awesome so now how do people find the two of you
2: so the best place to to find us is uh, becoming us family is our website. Um, it's new, it's growing, and uh, we're putting all our facilitators on there slowly, slowly, slowly. We're currently celebrating Barb as our Becoming Us mentor. She is here to mentor other facilitators who are coming through uh, the training and wanting to run the classes. Um, So we're very, very excited about that. So she's, she's, she's up there beautiful. Um, I'm also excited that I will be heading to the States very soon um, with the seed planting workshop so we've got a number of cities and dates that I will be delivering the live training and I love live training so I'm very 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 excited about that if anyone wants to know anything um, they can look on Becoming Us Family um, professional live events page
1: ellie and i will get a chance at psi to actually work together too which is super exciting so i love the fact that she's coming into portland and we're gonna it'll be great
0: that's awesome yeah thank you again so much for joining us today
2: thank you rebecca it was great thank you so much rebecca thank really appreciate thank you for
0: the work you're doing in the world thank, thank you
2: thank you for yours
0: Ellie wanted me to make sure to share with you that she's well again, and also that her cancer experience has made her even more committed to her life's work, seeing parents get the preparation and support for parenthood that they need and deserve. You can find both Barb and Ellie on the Becoming Us Family website at becomingusfamily.com. Ellie's heading over to the U.S. for a seed planting workshop tour. Catch her live trainings in Denver, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Texas, Portland, and a handful of stops throughout California. You can find more at becomingusfamily.com slash live-events. And you can find Barb at bbsuarez.com. I also noticed that Ellie is going to be leading a Becoming Us retreat. There's a link to learn more about that. In the show notes and I've got a few announcements of my own I'm currently forming a wisdom within process group which is exploring the inner lives of women we're gonna begin in September 2019 in person in my New Paltz New York office we'll be focusing on alignment with one's deepest self transforming fear and limiting beliefs into helpful guides fostering supportive relationships and developing intuition Learn more and apply to join us at connectfulness.com slash wisdom-within. And you can learn more about my relationship therapy practice and intensive retreats over at connectfulness.com. Therapists, it's time to integrate all the stuff that you have to do into your business so that you can focus on what you do best, and Therapy Notes can help. It's a simple, secure EHR platform that helps therapists in private practice to manage notes, claims, schedules, share documents, and request signatures. They also offer great unlimited customer support whenever you need it. Over 60,000 mental health professionals trust TherapyNotes. Get two months free by going to therapynotes.com, creating an account, and using the promo code CONNECTFULNESS. A few extra little gratitudes... I'd like to thank Christy Hausler, my behind-the-scenes amazing podcasting team, Sarah and Chris Farris at Kidney Stone Studio for the delicious soundtrack music, Blue Rabbit Studios for the cover art, and please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcasting platform.